Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. Once again, and always, I am joined by my co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. Oh, it's good to be back. Um, So what have I been up to? Breaking cars is what I've been doing. Yet again, I've broken another car. I've just not had very much luck with cars this year. I had my my lovely little Mercedes that got written off and scrapped. Well, not written off, just scrapped because it failed its MOT um, at the beginning of the year. Now I've broken my four by four and it's had like a massive engine leak or something I don't really know there was a lot of oil and a lot of drama so I am well I was carless but here's the good thing so my dad has been really really kind to me and has lent me his absolute pride and joy car his vintage BMW sports car convertible so that's what I'm driving around in at the moment I know um it's it would be a, a dream car honestly it's um I feel a little bit self-conscious driving it because I feel like I'm going to break it. And I'm not sure how I really feel about um, driving around in a convertible. But, I mean, I'm getting used to it. It's pretty good. So. Could you not ride a horse? Could Is, uh, is horseback social work not a thing? Uh, maybe if it took me like a week to get between appointments, um, I'd have to do a lot of camping. Do you think <laughs> that would be allowed? Do you think, you know, say, say you had just a local patch... You're at a local area, you live relatively nearby. Do you think councils would allow horseback social workers? I mean, it's a talking point, isn't it? I think that animals are supposed to be able to connect with people and foster relationships. So why not? I can see that you'd get people talking out and coming out of their shells if you turned up at their house with a horse. Okay. But um I don't know no. if the insurance would like it though. I could imagine councils would be a bit uh bit Can you insure a horse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to have them insured. But, but is that is that um, veterinary insurance? I mean, could could you insure a horse like you insure a car? Like if you're on the road with a horse, does it have to be insured? Um, so you're supposed to have third party public liability. Um but yeah, for veterinary fees, it's it's a lot more expensive to insure a horse than it is a car. Let me tell oh. you that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spend a fortune on insurance, but it's needed because I'm forever having to pay vets bills. That mm. seems to be the reason why I have to do so much extra independent work because I've forever got another vets bill to pay. Be awkward, um, wouldn't it, if like, see, we've gone on a home visit and then You've just hiked your horse up outside and it's eaten the flowers and it's done a big yeah. pool on the lawn. I was yeah. going to say, if it left a mess, that's not... Um, um, yeah, I can, I can see that might raise a few eyebrows. Yeah, it might be difficult, might be a difficult one. So let's park that for now. Um, well, I've had an interesting week, listeners. Firstly, apologies for the show not being on last week due to what I will only describe as unforeseen circumstances I was unavailable. We shall say no more. I have had an interest in last week, though, Tilly. I was on Sky News on Saturday night. You were. This was so exciting and quite out of the blue to, mm. for when I got that message. I was like, wow, you're on TV again. Uh, <laughs> I'm very lucky, actually. I'm very lucky. I've established a good relationship with Sky, so 
when they want somebody to go on and talk about social work in relation to a social work story, um, generally speaking, they'll ring me up. There's been a couple of times recently I haven't been able to do it because on one occasion I was away with the kids quite recently and then on an occasion late last summer when the Care Review came out, I was actually on a beach in Portugal and Sky rang me and said, Vince, would you be able to come on and hop on a Zoom call? I was like, I am on the beach in Albor on the Algarve probably isn't the best of luck for a social worker to be in there in his shorts and vest and uh, attempting to speak professionally on behalf <laughs> of our entire profession. But this time was very different. I got a phone call about half six on Saturday evening and um, we're going to go on and discuss this story. So they said, uh, would you like to come on? Can you do a pre-recorded interview and offer your views regarding the Stella Creasy story where uh, a referral was put in from a malicious troll saying that because she had what the malicious troll referred to as extreme views regarding misogyny, apparently she was a man-hater, that her children should be taken off her. So uh, I, I was able to uh, speak to Sky News and offer that not 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 supporting why the kids should be taken off or even offered a view on that. Essentially, the angle they wanted is why would a local authority not wipe those records from their system if a, a referral is no further action? So it was nice actually because. And quite often um, we'll talk about negative media portrayals of social work, and you know I agree a lot of them are, but whenever I've spoken to Sky News, they've always been really, really fair. They've never asked me needing questions, and they've always allowed me to give a realistic view of social work. So I feel very valued that um, I'm kind of the man they keep coming back to for that, Teddy. So, um, yeah, it was it was a exciting. And then last night I went to a gig by one of my favourite bands called James, I had a real good time. I went with my best friend, Michael, one of my best friends, Michael, and it, uh, it cheered me up thoroughly. I was a bit down in the dumps, and I went to a, a concert by James. It was an orchestral tour to celebrate James's 40th anniversary of being together. So there's a lot of reworkings of famous James songs. You're probably aware of songs like Sit Down, Tilly. I imagine you've heard that one before. Do you know what? When you were talking about James, I can't even think about who they are, so I can't. I'm you know, sure if I down. heard it, I would know. Oh, but... sit down, oh, sit down, oh, sit down, sit down next to me. You must know that song. <laughs> I don't know if I do. No, no, no. Oh, well, <laughs> well, to as, yeah. as beautiful as your singing is. Wow. Um, You'd have to be there. It was better than that. I mean, that was good, but it was a lot better than that. But yes, I was there, James, <laughs> singing, backed by um, a full choir and orchestra. So like a couple of the songs, like, oh, I got goosebumps. It was amazing. So, yes, it has been an interesting couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah, you know, on Sky News and at a good gig and, uh, yeah, a bit of fizz back in my step. Um, we don't have any reviews this week, listeners, so do get them sent in. Uh, if you want to drop a review on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else that you listen to this podcast, we will read it out on next week's podcast. But for now, Tilly, should we crack on with our topic this week, which is dealing with people who lie to social workers. Are you ready for this? I think it's going to be a juicy topic. <laughs> let's try it out. Let's uh, let's bite into that steak. Um, I don't like a juicy steak. I like a crispy steak. No, you um, like a pocket steak. That's I what do, you like. I do like a pocket <laughs> steak, really. I, I, I am a fan of a pocket steak. We're just going to have to deal with it. Um, I want to kick off 
tonight's subject by talking a little bit more about the topic which saw me um, on the news on Saturday. And um, basically, it's a Labour MP called Stella Creasy, and she faced an investigation by her local council following a report submitted by an online troll going under the alias Lance Jones. Me and you have had our dealings with online trolls in the past, haven't we, Tilly? In fact, would it be fair to say we still occasionally get a few online trolls, you know, giving us the odd bit of jip every now and again? Yeah, it uh, goes with the territory, but I know there are a few persistent ones that like they to are, they are. It's, uh, amuse you know. us. Well, I don't know if amuse is the right word. I just, uh, you know, I'd like to sit down with these people and have a have a cup of tea and just say, let's have a nice chat and sort it out. But as is the crack with these online trolls, such as Lance Jones, for some reason, you know, these people don't want to speak to you in person. I don't know why. You know, that's uh, for me, that's a dignified and sensible way to go about your differences. Let's sit, sit down, have a chat. Let's just crack on with our lives. But, you know, trolls don't really do that till they do this. So this MP, Stella Creasy, she had a troll called Lance Jones, and he contacted Stella's local council in London, Waltham Forest, and he made a referral to their children's services department, alleging that this member of parliament had extreme views that would harm her children to the point that they should be taken away from her. Would you like to know what uh, this troll alleged were extreme views of this MP, Tilly? Oh, well, I already know, but it made me giggle. So I'm um, enlighten our listeners. Go on. So apparently these are extreme views. Apparently it is, it is, it is extreme to uh, engage in activism against misogyny and violence towards women. It is also extreme for a woman to fight for the right to bring her breastfeeding baby into her place of work with her. Apparently, not only those views extreme, Tilly, but this Lance Jones, in inverted commas, believes that these views are so extreme that that baby who's being breastfed by his mother in Parliament should be taken off her. What's all that about? I mean, that troll is not well. They're not a well human being, are they? No, um, no. I, it's hard because we get these stories crop up every now and then. I don't know if you remember a few years back, Katie Hopkins, the infamous yes. troll that well, she is herself a troll, isn't she? She likes to create controversy. She got referred to social services. Um, and I could kind of see why people were sort of, doing that not that it justified what they were doing I mean her views have nothing to do with her capacity to parent um but I mean they were they are more extreme her views whereas this Labour MP's views I think are pretty mainstream society accepted views I mean who can't take who would argue against taking a breastfeeding feeding baby into work I just I don't understand but yeah. I think that the only way that you can sort of fit that in with your in your mind is just to think that that person is not very well, and I hope they get the support that they need. It, it is a wild one. So it's a wild one. This referral was made. Um, the council obviously saw right through it. They, um, I think it was just like a triage. It was just triaged. It did the press refer to it as a safeguarding review but my understanding is it's gone through a multi-agency safeguarding hub many people know that by its uh, acronym MASH 
Um, they determined the complaint was vexatious. They reached out to Creasy, not to you know investigate at all, but to explain that they had significant concerns that this Lance Jones posed a threat to her. They also had to explain that legally the council is not allowed to erase the complaint, even though, as would always happen in these situations, Tilly, and you and I will have done many times before, um, many on many occasions before, it has been marked as baseless and uh, likely vexatious. Well, it is vexatious. I was just not sure if they've you know, labelled it as such. Now, Creasy raised this issue with the police, the parliamentary police, who identify this Lance Jones is not from the area that they have jurisdiction over, but is from Leicestershire. They did pass it to them, but um, Leicestershire police told Creasy that despite poor wording, his actions, this Lance Jones actions, seem to stem from a concerned member of the public critiquing her, and that, because she was a public fi- figure, she did, she should expect both positive and negative reactions to her views. I'm not going to come on here and criticise the police, but I am going to come on here and criticise the police because <laughs> I, I'm not sure you can write off a man making a complaint to a council to have a woman's child and other child, have a woman's children taken away from her as, um, and this is the exact quote, as, as a public figure, you should expect positive and negative reactions. It's buttering it up to say that's just a negative reaction and that's it is what it is and they can take no action. But that was what she was told, Tilly. You know, I know by the law the police couldn't do anything, but... I would have expected a bit more empathy in terms of the harm this has caused her, surely. Yeah, I mean, it's bordering on stalking and harassment because that that person has gone to the lengths to find out exactly which social services department they need to contact. They've actually gone to the effort to make the phone call and, and raise that concern. It's not like they've just put in a tweet, oh, she's rubbish or use slightly exactly. worse words than that. <laughs> and I don't exactly. agree with her. It's it's creepy. And yeah, I feel really sorry for this lady. She she no one deserves that, no matter what views you hold. It's just it makes a mockery of the system. So talking about making a mockery of the system, we've run a couple of pieces on mysocialworknews.com over the past couple of days where we've discussed this and we've sort of given our views on them. One is a piece by our very own blogger, uh, Ms. I don't know if she's Ms. or a Miss or even a Mrs. Uh, so I'm not going to say either. I'm going to say by the uh, the eponymous Millie Glass. So Millie Glass, um, Millie Glass's headline on mysocialworknews.com, guys, you can have a look on the website, you can read this for yourself, is making a malicious referral to children's services is as serious as making one to the police. And we covered this story on the same day, Telly, because the topic that Social Work News put to us this week in terms of our panel, there's me, you, and our good friend Matt B on that panel. Social Work News put the question to us this week that do we think making false reports to children's services should be a criminal offence? Millie Glass certainly does, but what do you think, Tilly? Should making false reports such as the one Lance Jones made about Stella Creasy be a criminal offence. What do you say, my friend? See, I agree with Millie on this, and I think I disagree with you as we had different opinions on the panel Ooh, this we'll week. get on to that. You set oh. your stall out first. You set your stall out first. So, yes, I do think it should be a criminal offence. Um, it's a criminal offence if you make 
um, false allegations to the police or you waste emergency services time. And I believe that social work should be seen as comparable with that. Um, we're a profession that is under a huge amount of strain, um, as is any public service. And by making malicious allegations, not only are you wasting social workers' time when we could be supporting people that actually need it, um, but also you're, you're creating a unnecessary intrusion into someone else's mm. private life including when it's in a children's services allegation the children themselves very good and point. i think that's that's pretty unforgivable yeah. um and i think if it was made a criminal offense uh, the, the threshold for prosecution would be high because all yes. criminal matters are so we're not talking about your reporting your concerns for the next door neighbor because you've heard them shouting and or, or whatever um if you've got genuine concerns you're not going to be prosecuted this is for these baseless claims just like this this character lance made um mm. where there's absolutely no foundation to them and they are malicious and it can be proven that they are so um there's no suggestion that lance has ever even met um, Stacy or her children or knows anything about them so I think it would serve as a deterrent or certainly would would give us some powers um, to make sure that these things were were rightly prosecuted so yeah I, I support it becoming law. I hear everything you say my friend I do and, and the concerns that you share there I echo you know I've, I've worked in child protection for a long time now I've seen more than my fair share of malicious referrals. And I know exactly the damage these can cause. You know, not only do these reports damage the people who are the target themselves, but as you said yourself there, Tilly, they take people like you, I, and our listeners away from people who genuinely need our support. Um, it, you talked about sort of stalking and harassing them and the targeted nature. In my experience, most of these false reports tend to come from people who are family members or former friends of the targets. And generally speaking, the, the majority of those usually come from ex-partners seeking to cause issues or perhaps parents odd with each other, going through a divorce or a separation, trying to alienate children. Is that similar to what you've seen, Tilly? Have you seen similar patterns that these reports, generally speaking, come from people that know the, the victims intimately? Yeah, yeah. And I think to cross the criminal threshold in those sorts of scenarios, there would have to be significant evidence because yes. often these these allegations have a, a tiny drop of truth within them. Yes. Um, they're not, not the majority of them aren't completely baseless. Um, there's normally something that's caused them, but the ones that genuinely are malicious and have no founded allegations and they're just mean allegations, then they, I think they need to be dealt with. And where I differ, where I differ is not, is not the severity of these concerns, and not, you know, that these happen and they are damaging. My worry, Tilly, is what introducing a law such as this could do. I worry that, firstly, it'd be very difficult to police, as you've said yourself, in terms of the threshold. I think it'd be hard to establish whether people were making a false complaint or had a genuine concern, because the very nature of referrals that we get in children's services, a lot of them are, I think this has happened, I've heard this, and that's the whole point of an assessment before you act very rare that you you get something that's so obviously um 
apparent like a not accidental injury or something like that most of the time you know there's an assessment process before we establish the basis but the worst of all I, I do believe it would dissuade members of the public from making referrals to the local authority for fear of being prosecuted should no further action be taken so you know I certainly want things to change and I certainly you know do not believe this should be happening but on balance I think we've got to leave matters as they are, even if that does potentially leave the system open to abuse by trolls such as Lance Jones. So different opinion there, Captain, very different opinions. Yeah, and um, it's it's quite rare that we have a different opinion, actually. So um, it's quite nice to make a change that we hold different views on this. But no, I completely get what you're saying. I, I think that would be a risk. I'm hoping that it, if it if it does become a case and the, let's just be clear there's no suggestion that this is going to be no, this is just no. us hy- hypothesizing that it's something that a future government could take um but i mean people still make calls into emergency services they still use the police they still call 999 when there's an issue they don't worry about wasting police time so i'm hoping that my suggestion would be that they wouldn't but i get i get your concerns so um well, we don't have to. We're not the lawmakers. We're not the the ones that put these things into practice. So we are just here to comment and gossip about it. What a valued position to be in. We can do all the talk, but don't have to take any of the action. Um, let's let's move this on to our own practice for the sort of latter half of the podcast then. Um, because obviously, you know, the, the topic of this podcast is dealing with people who lie to social workers. So we started by talking about that biggest story of, you know, making up, you know, false allegations and lying in, in terms of lying to social services to try and get some sort of action taken with via a vexatious and false complaint. But let's move this on a little bit to us dealing with our own social work practice where people have been dishonest with us or trying to hide things. It can be very difficult, can't it, Tilly, in terms of when you are dealing with, let's take this, let's, let's take, you know, vexatious complaints. It can be very difficult when you're dealing with somebody who is so wedded to the idea that they want to tell a lie to social workers that when you challenge them, they get red in the face defending it. Um, in children's services, sadly, we, we do face a lot of dishonesty in children's services. It's part and parcel of the job. You having done both jobs, is dishonesty and disguised compliance as big an issue in adults as it is in children's? No, I don't think it is. Um, I mean, it, it, it is in terms of safeguarding work for adults. It's, that's very similar to children's um, safeguarding work. But I suppose we're often coming at things from a very different perspective if we're looking at putting care packages in place for people or Mm. supporting through capacity issues or carers issues. Um, We do get a lot of people that lie by omission, so they just don't tell us the full extent of the problems. We get a lot of people that are in denial about their care and support needs, or perhaps it's a carer who doesn't want to admit how much strain that they're under. but I suppose it's less of a confrontation in terms of children's social workers. You're going in there to assess whether a child is at risk of significant harm. So that kind of puts you at a almost like an us and them problem. I know we try and uh, um, get around that by working with people and we don't want it to be um, adversarial. But I think safeguarding work by the very nature of that we're doing an investigation, we have to probe into 
issues and we have to ask difficult questions whereas um it's a different feel than a lot of the adult social work i think it would be fair for me to suggest there are more reasons for people to lie in child protection social work given the nature of the job is we do pry we do investigate we do ask more questions it's you wanted to be supportive and you know a lot of a lot of child protection social work is supportive when you get to that point but equally a lot of child protection social work particularly at the high end when you get the high end child protection plans pre proceedings and then care proceedings it is adversarial in its nature people will have done things that they are scared of people will have done things that they want to hide people will go into fight or flight mode in relation to the innate human instinct to care for their children and to keep their children within their care and it is natural when you are resorting to any measures to protect the things that matter most to you it is natural that you will do anything to try and save that child even if that means lying to a professional yeah yeah that's very fair what do we do in our own practice when we've been lied to, Tilly? You know, you're a very honest and fair person. Everything, bluntly honest with me, my friend, which is what I appreciate, <laughs> Tilly. I like it. You know, I I like that you will challenge me on my BS, and I need that. I need that from people in life. That's a very endearing quality, and that is why we have been friends for well, six years now. We've known one another, Tilly. Six years. We've more or less spoken every single, you know, every single week we've spoken for more or less six years. We've known each other for a long time. So it's very, it's a very endearing quality that you've got that you, you can call people out. But what do you do when you practice as a social worker and as a manager? When you've been lied to by a client, how do you go about addressing that and confronting them and working past that dishonesty in order to try and rebuild a relationship that could potentially be fractured? It's a really difficult and uncomfortable position to be in because every personal instinct you'll have is going to be that you're offended or upset by the fact that someone has lied to you um but you've got to try and put that aside and realize they're not lying to you they're lying to you as a social worker they're lying to the system and not take it personally they're not doing it to get at you or make your life any more difficult they're doing it because it's either coming from a place of fear or embarrassment or anxiety um so I think first thing you need to make sure is you have the really good support systems and supervision in place to support you through that um so you can put those um feelings and those biases aside and build a relationship that might not be the the easiest or the most comfortable one to build well tilly now it's your turn come on i've set you up here i've set you up here i've teed you up tilly come on you know i've passed it over set me up you need to ask me oh vince uh, what do you do in your practice so the floor is yours tilly you've been given your cue what was that question you were going to ask my friend? So, Vince, what do you do in your practice? Oh, well, Tilly, what a coincidence <laughs> you happen to have asked this because I have just written an article on mysocialworknews.com where I set out my six-point plan to dealing with people who may like to so- may lie to social workers. I might suggest that you and our listeners go and check this out on mysocialworknews.com. It should be near the top of the page as a featured piece for the rest of this week. But Tilly, would you like me to break down Vince Peart's six-point way of working with people who may be dishonest or misleading in social work. Are you ready for this, my friend? 
I'm intrigued. Come on, then. Well, you know me, Tilly. I'm a man with systems, aren't I? You know how I live my life. I like system. I like routine. It's podcasts, same routine every time. Same time, same place, every week. Apart from last week, exceptional circumstances. <laughs> we like to keep routine. We run a tight ship on the good ship SWR, don't we? We do indeed. But yeah, come on, let's hear your hear system. Go. I have a six-point system. So basically, guys... This is a six-point system that has served me well during my own practice as a social worker. And I've probably been using this for about five years or so now, but I haven't really put it down into words as such. So here's my six-point system for dealing with dishonesty and people who might try and mislead you in social work. And I'm going to ask you for your views on each point, Tilly. So point one, the first thing I always do, and you mentioned this yourself, Tilly, so, you know, one house point to Hufflepuff. Actually, would you get oh, yes. one? Would you get one? Would you get ten? No, you just get one. Ten like answer- at least. No, no, ten at least. 50, it's like answering one question 100. right in class. If you answer one question right in class, you just get one point, don't you? I think that Hogwarts teachers give people more than that. So come on, I, I need at least 10. 10, 10, 10. Okay, you've got 10. You can have yeah, 10 arbitrary ten. points. 10 points. You can basically give you 100. It doesn't matter. Have 100 points for Hufflepuff. No, you can have 10. Um Number one, I think it's very important to understand the reasons for dishonesty. Um, some common reasons that our clients may be dishonest with us are fear of judgment or repercussions. Obviously, if you have to be open about things, Tilly, it, you know, if you're having to be honest about something you've done wrong or something, or something that somebody's done to you and you're having to tell that to a professional, perhaps a professional meeting for the first time, of course, you're going to be fearful. Another reason is the, to protect yourself or other people. Mental health issues and substance abuse issues and past trauma and PTSD could impact on your reasons for being dishonest. You could be the victim of abuse or coercive control, and you could have had previously negative experiences of professionals. You know, you may come from a background where you've told, you've made disclosures to social workers when you were a child yourself and nothing was done. So you think, well, what's the point in telling people these things when nothing's done? So my number one uh, my first stage in the six-point plan is to understand the underlying causes because I think if you can understand those underlying causes, Tilly, you can develop empathy and tailor your approach to suit that individual. It's about person-centered practice because, you know, I've known this for a long time and it was certainly embedded to me within my counseling training. Good people do bad things. And I think if you can start with that basis of understanding why somebody might be lying, you can move forward. How does that sound as a starting point? Yeah, it's that um, unconditional positive regard, isn't it? That's one of my favourite theories. I think that's a really important thing to make sure that you you try and humanise it. And actually, everyone lies in their life. Um, it's, it's part of being human. Um, yeah. And they're not doing it because they just want to be difficult. It's, there's always a reason behind it. There's a driver. There definitely is. And it's understanding that driver. Once you've done that, my second point is to establish trust and report. Um, you talk about unconditional positive regard when we speak about you know, person-centered practice and corporate and that. It's also incredibly important to build a rapport with clients. You have to build that bridge. You know, Carl Rogers would describe it as a bridge between, between two people. So you have to establish trust because it's a fundamental aspect of any therapeutic relationship, of that social worker, counsellor, teacher, you know, and particularly when working with clients who might have a history of deception, you have to establish trust. Um, you can do that via various techniques. And again, we'll have all learned about this at university and hopefully use these on a daily basis. Active listening, empathy, being non-judgmental, 
those kind of things could all help create an environment where our clients feel comfortable disclosing sensitive information. So you are shown that you're somebody who they can share information with and you're not going to judge them. And uh, yeah, I think that's a very important approach to take next to establish trust and report. Are you still with me, Tilly? Yeah, it's a fundamental social rights skill. I agree with that, definitely. Step three, I believe that it is important to enhance our own self-awareness and emotional intelligence. You know, developing those two things, self-awareness and emotional intelligence, that can help us better detect deception. And at the same time as better detecting deception, that can help us better understand our clients' needs. You know, we can reflect on our personal biases. We can look to understand our emotional cues. We can practice self-regulation to avoid our own emotional reactions. All of the things that might interfere with the, the helping process, we need to check them. A good way of doing that in terms of enhancing our self-awareness and emotional intelligence is to read, to reflect, to engage in training, and to also use reflective supervision and peer supervision to help flesh out those feelings and see potentially what vibes you are giving out and what barriers you are placing in there as a social worker, which may make people less likely to tell you the truth. Yep, I agree with that completely. Still with we're you. On step, we're on to step four, Tilly. We're, we're halfway through Vince Peart's six-point guide on how to deal with people who lie to social workers. Number four, um, and this is this is me all over. Utilize a relevant assessment tools. Now, <laughs> I have a very I have a very uh, thorough approach to my assessments. I always use at least six different standalone assessment tools to provide an evidence base to practice. I, I don't like I don't like I don't like assessments that are just subjective. Because for me, the best practice assessments, objective assessments, that when you've established all of the facts, you then, as you go through each section, you put your analysis at the end, and then you have an over overarching analysis. So the assessment that I always teach people that I'm working with is gather the facts, gather the facts, establish what one client's saying, establish what the other client's saying, establish what the child's saying, establish what the professionals are saying, establish what the facts say on this matter that you can prove, highlight what is verifiable, highlight what isn't verifiable, put that all together, put your analysis on the end. And this is why relevant assessment tools are very, very important when you're dealing with clients who may be dishonest, because you have subjective evidence and objective you have objective fact-based evidence should i say that you can use to establish what the truth of the matter is in my practice a few tools i use i use the adverse childhood experiences questionnaire rosenberg self-esteem scale i use various different drug and alcohol screening tools things like the bernardo's domestic violence risk indication matrix all of those things are objective tools that can help establish an evidence base for concerns using those in conjunction with the client's own subjective narrative can really help to provide an evidence base for our assessments and our interventions. Because what you can say is you can say, oh, well, I know you've said this, but could you answer these questions? And sometimes it's a lot easier for people to break down what they want to tell you in in, in simple questions bit by bit than to sit down and say, right, tell me everything that's happening. An example of my this might be when using the Bernardo's domestic violence risk indication matrix, you might say, well, you know, how many times have you been hit? Have you been hit once, twice, three times, four times? What, what's the extent of the injuries? When does it happen? What are the triggers? Has there been alcohol involved? Has there been objects involved? Has there been threats to kill? 
There are many, many times in my practice, Tilly, that, I mean, usually in social work, let's get this right, usually we're taught to ask open-ended questions, but there have been many, many times in my practice where people have felt it far easier to begin their disclosures with closed questions because you are simply giving them binary options, which is a lot easier to answer, particularly if you are in a state of distress and potentially suffering post-traumatic stress disorder than it is to just say, right, tell me what's happening and for the onus to be on you to just disclose everything. Yeah, that's a really important point. I think there's no such thing as like open questions aren't the only way to deal with things. Closed questions, leading questions, they all have their place. um, And it's just making sure that you know when to use them and at the right time. I agree. Yeah, then it's a combination, you know, good assessments and good interventions involve a range of techniques. They involve a range of techniques with everybody, but they particularly should involve a range of techniques when you're dealing with people for the first time, because you might not know what works best for them. And that's when having experience, training, knowledge and expertise comes in. Step five is after you've got to this point, you must collaborate with other professionals and check records. Collaborate with other professionals, you know, In my line of work, it's usually police officers, teachers, medical professionals, such as health visitors and midwives, support workers, drug and alcohol workers, mental health support workers, such as uh, community nurses and so on. It's invaluable in managing dishonesty in social work practice. You know, you get expertise, you get resources, you get different perspectives. Essentially, you get a comprehensive understanding of our clients' needs that you simply wouldn't get from the client themselves or from your own professional basis. And you must also cross-reference records as well as checking on the local authority system to see, well, actually, is there a basis to what the client's telling me? Uh, You can check on records from the police, which is, you know, that's where we get most of our information from. But you can also ask for medical records. You can look at records that um, schools have taken and so on. It's all about gaining a better picture of what's known to have happened and how how that might differ from the client's own recollections. And you do that in a sensitive way. And, you know, I would approach it by saying, I know you've said this, but police records show this. Could you perhaps tell me why you think they're saying one thing and you're saying the other? I would never come out with them saying, well, you're not telling me the truth because the police are saying this and you're saying that. It's about how do you broach that in a sensitive manner? So I would say to clients, you know, could you just explain this to me? You know, the police have said one thing, you've said the other. And let's be real, Tilly, sometimes the police do get it wrong. I've, I've been a social worker <laughs> a long time. The police don't intentionally get it wrong. But, you know, when you get those, you know, you, you might remember this back in your children's services days. And, you know, anybody who's a child protection social worker will know this. They'll probably be facing one the next working day in the office. When you get those police referrals through, Tilly, they're all in caps. Do you remember them? They're all in caps. You know, it's very, very hard to read. You get the dispatched notice through. And, you know, they're reliant upon what a complainant said and police are often dealing with high pressurized situations you don't always get the full story from police reports so whilst of course you know you you have to believe what other police have said you've got to try and piece that together with everything i'm just using the police as one example you could take any professional records there you have to piece that together and allow the client to give their story and hopefully put them together to try and establish some basis of what the truth is Yeah, I mean, our clients don't live in silos. We don't work in silos. It's got to be a a holistic approach, whether you're working with children or adults, no matter what sort of assessment you're doing, that consultation of others is is a vital part of our assessment tools. Definitely, definitely. And that's that's why we have the working together guidance. It's why interdisciplinary and multi-agency practice is so important. And the last step, 
in my guide would be that we must implement implement a strengths-based approach. You know, we must focus on our clients' strengths and resources and not the deficits. You know, we having that approach, you can encourage honesty and it, you know, promotes a more positive therapeutic relationship. Because if if you look for the good in people and not the bad, then people will rightly be more likely to share their bad things with you because they will trust that you see them as a good person who might make mistakes rather than a bad person who is vindictive and is intentionally lying to you. And I think that emphasizing our clients' resilience and problem-solving skills is so important to you. You know, we can help to empower them. We can help people to take responsibility. And, you know, we can actually walk with people and help them towards achieving the goals. And, you know, we, we must give across the message all the time. And I say this all the time to my clients. I always say, it's not me versus you. It's me and you versus the problem. And I think when you establish that with people, that you're not out to get them, you're not out to trip them up, that you're not there to investigate like a detective or something, you're there to help. If you can do that, and you can do that genuinely, not just lie about doing that and then get the information you need and then you know turn tail on them and, and undermine that trust. If you can convince people that you're a genuinely good person, which is what we are in social work, and that you really care and you're looking at their strengths, people will have far less reason to be dishonest with you. It's just basic people skills, isn't it? And that's the most important part of social work. How do you relate to someone on a human level? How do you draw out the best in them so that they trust you, genuinely trust you and genuinely respect you? And, and it's it's reciprocal then. Um, yeah, I, I, I think your model's really useful. I think um, it certainly helped me and I hope it helps um, some of our listeners as well. Thank you very much, Chloe. I mean, so listeners, it's on mysocialworknews.com. It is very basic. You know, when, when I, I, I like to give people bite-sized bite learning, you know, it's the same way we do on this podcast. We try and keep it informal. We try and keep it the kind of learning that people can pick up and use straight away. Of course, you know, there's far more detailed things you can get out there, but our ethos here at Social Work News and on Social Work Radio is to give people bite-sized things you can pick up in easy digest format. We know how busy you guys are at university and college. We know how busy you guys are at placement. We know how busy you guys are at work because me and Tilly have been we've done all of those things and we still continue to do all of those things so do check out if you found that useful you will find it on mysocialworknews.com um so there we go Tilly our guide on how to deal with people who may be dishonest with you our discussions on the Stella Creasy story and our views on whether we should criminalize false complaints about social workers it has been a thorough show today, has it not? I know, we've covered so much in such a short space of time. We have, we have. Well, listeners, that's about it from us. As always, do drop us a message. Hit us up via Social Work News. Find me and Telly on Twitter or hit us up via the Social Work News or Social Work World Facebook pages, groups, Twitter accounts or Instagram profiles. We'll be back next week. Um, who knows what with, but I'm sure we will have something that will tickle your fancy. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.